Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. 10 days from today, on Ash Wednesday, we will be invited to the observance of a Holy Lent. And we will hear, I invite you therefore, in the name of the church, to the observance of a Holy Lent, by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. The Old Testament reading will be Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them? And the gospel reading will be that portion of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus teaches his disciple, disciples about the proper practice of piety. When you pray, do so in secret. When you fast, do so in secret. And when you give alms, do so in secret. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving are the three primary Lenten disciplines that comprise a Holy Lent. We tend to think of Lent as a season for self-denial, as a season for giving something up. So some of us will give up alcohol, others sweets, some might give up meat on Fridays, and others might give up social media, the well-known Facebook fast. But when we consider the three traditional practices of piety, Two of the three are primarily practices of taking on a discipline. Now, I would hope that we all already pray, but perhaps during Lent, our praying might be more disciplined than it sometimes is. We might take on new practices of prayer, perhaps using new resources. And I know this to be a community of generosity, but perhaps we might still look at our almsgiving and generosity through a new lens. There is a short classic work of Christian literature by Brother Lawrence entitled Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence writes of using every moment of every day as an occasion for prayer. Lent is meant to provide us with the opportunity to practice the presence of God to use the 40 days of Lent as a time for acquiring new habits of being in Christ. The invitation to a Holy Lent that will be extended on Ash Wednesday is an invitation to a holy life. 
And the life that we are meant to live is most clearly explicated in last week's and this morning's gospel readings. Luke's Sermon on the Plain versus Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had gone to the mountain to pray all night, and at morning's light, he chose 12 apostles, and then he began to teach them and his larger circle of followers that those who were blessed were the poor and the hungry and the persecuted. He also taught them the ways in which their lives and the ways in which our lives are meant to reflect the life and love of God. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, turn the other cheek, do to others as you would have them do to you, lend, expecting nothing in return, be merciful, don't judge, forgive. This morning's gospel and this morning's Old Testament reading from Genesis give us a new lens through which we might look at prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. How do we pray? We pray for our enemies. How do we fast? Our fasting corresponds to our almsgiving. We share our bread with the hungry. We clothe the naked. And we fast from pointing a finger of shame. And how do we give alms? We love our enemies. We do good to those who hate us. We bless those who curse us. We forgive and we are merciful. What does loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, blessing those who curse us, forgiveness and mercy look like? This morning's reading from Genesis gives us such a glimpse. The account of Joseph demonstrates what it looks like to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to be merciful, and to forgive. Joseph's enemies were not political foes. Those who hated him were not jealous colleagues. Those to whom he showed mercy were not the nameless poor. Joseph's enemies, those who hated him, those to whom he extended mercy, were family members. They were 10 of his 11 brothers. You'll remember that the three great patriarchs of our faith are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll remember that Jacob loved Rachel and worked seven years for the privilege of marrying her, but her father Laban tricked him and um, gave him Leah, the older sister, instead. And then he had to work another seven years um, in order to work off being able to have married Rachel. Leah and various handmaids and concubines were able to give Jacob 10 sons and one daughter before the beloved barren Rachel finally conceived two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the best loved and the most spoiled. The robe that we generally think of as a coat of many colors was actually a garment that signified that Joseph didn't do any work around the house or the farm. He was not sharing his load with his siblings. Rather, he was wandering about, dreaming, telling his brothers the significance of the dreams that all had to do with their eventually bowing down before him. 
So the author of Genesis says, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and they couldn't speak peaceably to him. So the brothers were consumed by their jealousy and hatred and they decided to kill Joseph. But one of the brothers, Reuben, convinced the others, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit and see what happens. Well, below, before long, some traders came along and they bought him for um, 20 shekels of silver. I had an older sister who was five years older than I am, and there was a time in our growing up that she would have loved nothing more than the option of a pit to throw me into. And if she could have gotten 20 shekels of silver out of the deal, that would have been great, but I think she would have given me away for nothing. So I'm really thankful that she didn't know the Joseph story. Joseph was then bought by Potiphar, the captain of the Egyptian guard, and made an overseer of his house. Things were going well until Joseph um, refused to succumb to Potiphar's wife's seductions. She was furious at being scorned, lied to her husband, and had Joseph thrown into jail. And while he was in prison, he did in fact prove himself to be a rather successful interpreter of dreams. And finally, particularly two dreams that had been troubling Pharaoh. So Pharaoh had been dreaming about basically abundance and famine, didn't know what that meant. And so Joseph laid out this strategic plan whereby grain would be stored up during the seven years of abundance, and that then during the seven years of famine, there would be more than enough to eat. Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him, and he was about 30 when he entered Pharaoh's service. The seven years of famine that had been predicted extended, though, beyond the reaches of Egypt. And so during that time of famine and starvation, caravans of starving people converged on Egypt to get grain for their survival. One such caravan to arrive in Egypt included those 10 brothers who had sold Joseph some 20 years before. Joseph went unrecognized by his brothers, but the brothers did not go unrecognized by Joseph. The Joseph story is an interesting account of reconciliation and forgiveness because neither happened immediately. Joseph made his brothers suffer a little bit first. So on their first trip, Joseph gave them the, grave that, the grain that they requested, but then he accused them of spying and insisted that they return with their youngest brother to prove their story and that they were honest. And as a guarantee of their return, they kept one of the brothers, Simeon, and imprisoned him. Jacob finally only agreed to let Benjamin go with his brothers when famine forced him to give in. They just needed more grain. So as the brothers were about to leave Egypt for the second time, um, Joseph's steward put a silver cup in Benjamin's sack, and guess what? They were then accused of stealing. So as Judah was begging for Joseph's mercy, telling him that returning home without Benjamin would mean death for their father, Joseph could no longer keep up the charade. 
Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him, and he cried. Joseph had toyed with his brothers a bit, but in the face of their dismay, their distress, and their self-reproach, Joseph had only words of consolation and of mercy and of forgiveness to speak. At the heart of Joseph's ability to forgive his brothers for their hatred and jealousy and harm was his recognition that God had been present with him throughout the entire ordeal. He said, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, I have no doubt that there are those of us here this morning who have our own version of the Joseph story. We have family members from whom we've been estranged. We've known ourselves to be the victims of someone's ill will. We know what it's like to be misunderstood or disliked. We know the pain of estrangement. As was the case with Joseph, forgiveness and reconciliation can sometimes take a very long time. And sometimes it happens because we recognize that forgiveness is the only way that we can be healed and freed from the bondage of anger and hurt. Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for 27 years in South Africa. And about his release from prison and the need to forgive, he said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and my hatred behind, I would still be in prison. Loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate us, blessing those who curse us, turning the other cheek, being merciful and forgiving require in the first instance an ability to see God as present rather than absent. This capacity to see God expands as we practice the presence of God. As we turn our attention to Lent in the next 10 days, let's ask a question other than or perhaps in addition to, what will I give up for Lent? Let's ask what tools we need to have or to hone um, that would enable us better to practice the presence of God. Let's ask for the grace to love and to forgive our enemies or those who have wronged us in some way. Asking for the grace to love and to forgive is not to excuse bad behavior, but it is rather a refusal to allow that bad behavior to poison our hearts and to leave us in our own virtual prisons. Let us ask for the gifts of generosity and mercy. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Amen.